0: The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace.
1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone, and I'm Wanda Wallace. Today, we're going to be talking about millennials. Now, that's the group of workers that are just now entering the workplace, so anywhere between the ages of 16 to 36. And as it turns out, they are the largest cohort ever in the history of mankind. Everyone I talk to seems to be talking about how millennials are going to change the workplace, some of it for good, perhaps, and some of it not so good, depending on your perspective. I will also say that one of my very large, very traditional, very well-established and well-known clients recently said that millennials are now making up over 45% of their workforce. And I have to tell you, for this particular company, I was kind of shocked by that um, statement. And I think all of us are seeing it the same. Yet for all of this conversation, there is an awful lot of hype and a good bit of mythology and limited practical advice on what really works. And that's what we want to focus on today. So, with me today is Lee Carragher. Lee is a communications strategist, but her friends and colleagues, most importantly, call her the Millennial Whisperer. And boy, could we use it! She's CEO of Double Forte. Her clients are Bay Area brands like Cliff Bar and Camelback, and as she says, after struggling to work really well with these millennial clients, she decided to write the book, Millennials in Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. If you want to follow her blog, it's com. So, Lee, welcome to the show.
2: It's so great to be with you.
1: Thank you for having me. I am thrilled and I am looking forward to getting some sound advice. I am tired of all the mythology, for one. Okay, so let's, before we get started, let's get language clear. So we talk about millennials, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, baby boomers, the great generation. Kind of just run us through how you think about, how you classify each of those generations.
2: Sure, and there is a lot of uh, confusion there because different organizations use different terms. What I use is Pew Research. Um, as my uh, guide on this. And so millennials this year, uh, by their definition, were born in 1980 to 2000. So this year they're 16 years old to 36 years old. Gen X are born, um, from, or this year are uh, 37 to 51 years old. And that's the smallest generation we have right now, uh, about 42 million uh, Americans are Gen Xers. And then boomers are 52 to 69 years old. Uh, another large generation 79 million um boomers in this country um and then traditionalists or the silent generation are uh 70 to about um 85 years old um this year gen z is the youngest um is anyone born today up to 16 is uh, gen z um and then Gen Y is the same as millennials. So it gets a little confusing cuz people use Gen Y and millennials interchangeably cuz they are. Gen Y equals millennial.
1: Okay? All right, so millennials, the biggest generation 19 born in 1980 up to 2000 or mm-hmm. in other words, age 16 to 36. Uh-huh. Okay, so today I want to really cover three topics. First, In the first segment, I want to talk about myth versus reality. In uh-huh. the second one, and what does that mean for us, of course. In the second one, I want to talk about what does it mean we do as teams and as managers. And then the third uh-huh. one, I want to talk about how do we find any common ground and make it meaningful for our, our workplaces as a whole. But uh-huh. let's start at the top, the myth versus reality. And I have to tell you, three weeks running in a row, I have been with a group in a room, either for a keynote talk or for a training session, and I have 30-somethings. So millennials, older millennials, who Uh are railing negatively against the very young workers. Is that consistent? Are you seeing the same thing? That is
2: totally consistent. Um, I actually divide millennials into three parts. So just, just as a To, to break, because 20 years is a long span, right? So the older millennials, basically 29 to 36 year olds, these people came into the workplace after 9-11. They have never been to, as an adult, they've never walked through security. They never had security to walk through to get to the, you know, to the gate at an airport, right? Um, they've always given their idea at large companies to get up, up the stairs. The next group, um, in their worldview is totally shaped by what we did as a business and the economy did after 9-11. The next group of millennials is, uh, 22, 23 to 28-ish in there. And these people came into the workplace after 2008. When, uh, or they came into the working force, they may not be work, have worked, right? And there are still yeah. millennials in this age group, 22 to 28, 29, who are, uh, not employed at the level that their education would have prepared them for. Dramatic, dramatic disappointment in terms of what, um, opportunity there was. Coming out of 2008, 2009, and how long it's taken really for the for the economy to recover. This is the same time where boomers uh, who thought they were going to retire did not retire, so which which created a tremendous amount of compression in the workforce. So, you do, and then the youngest group is 16 to 22. These these uh, millennials are still in school and they're learning very differently than the oldest group. So, this the 16 to 22 year olds, they're learning on video. They they have iPads in the in the classroom iPad didn't exist for the oldest group, right? So they definitely have a different, a different um, learning uh, environment, and that has tremendous implication uh, in the workplace too. So the oldest set of millennials versus the the middle set of t- millennials, you know, they there is tremendous amount of um, uh, antagonism, I, I think, uh, between these two groups, and I'm not sure that it's about being millennial because they're millennials too. It's more about um, the expectations that this group has, uh, the younger group has, that the older group had to live through. So it's actually a classic intergenerational problem um, compressed into the same generation. <laughs>
1: fascinating so what's the advice i mean so i find a lot of the things that are not helpful regardless whether they're true or not things mm-hmm. like labeling people as lazy entitled mm-hmm. blah blah blah, is coming mm-hmm. out of the older millennial group far more than it mm-hmm. is coming out of the baby boomers for example Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. Okay. well i think that The labels don't help at all, right? And and frankly, uh, boomers and extras do not differentiate as much as the older millennials do against their younger cohort. Um, And and so let's just talk about a couple of those myths. You know, so if you Googled it today, you would see over four or five million negative entries about working with millennials. And it is overwhelmingly negative, uh, the narrative on this. Um, And... It just cannot possibly be that an entire generation is entitled or an entire generation is lazy or an entire generation, you know, are job hoppers and all these kinds of things or disrespectful or rude or all these things, right? Um, it's statistically impossible. Um, when I took a look at it on the entitled word alone, this is what really creates a lot of resentment. Um, and my when I took a look at it, I don't believe that this generation is entitled. I believe that this generation has been conditioned to expect a certain um, set of norms that no longer exist. So, for instance, um, the, uh, a few pieces of data on this. So, in the last 15 years, the average parent average in college and in high school has risen a full point. So, you can actually get a 4.5 average on a four-point scale, which also is bad math, right? So what happens is, you know, people who are graduating from college with four-point five, four-point sixes, 4.6s, um, and they're getting into the workplace, and they, have ne- they don't know that their work actually is enough to snuff because they've never been judged by the um, education system in a way that is uh, the reality. So when people get into the workforce and they say, my work is done, and you say back to them, no, it's not, that disconnect is not born out of, oh, my work is so great, it's in, I'm entitled to it. It's born out of um, the experience of what has, they've just been through, which is social promotion for the last 22 years of their lives. So this disconnect um, is really um, hard to break through, very hard to break through because they're not used most people, most of these people are not used to um, not getting praised for their work. Um, this generation is the, uh, no, everybody wins soccer generation. Well, that's not their fault. They didn't want everybody to win soccer. Their parents wanted everyone to win soccer. Um, you know, the number of awards, the number of trophies, and the all these kinds of things. This is not um, the millennials. They didn't choose this. So when, I, when people say they're entitled, uh, I reject that. I reject that nomenclature because um, entitled to me comes from, uh, I believe, because I'm so great. Well, these people have been uh, conditioned to expect certain things for certain performances. And performance, actually, and achievement are uh, not so much uh, distinguished for this generation.
1: (laughs) So that actually helps resonate with me because I do find that the younger generation, just youngest of the millennials just entering the workforce now, really do want praise. But most Mm -hmm. of us do if we're honest. We've just learned to expect accept that you don't get it very often. Right. Uh, And they don't. They haven't learned that expectation yet. But I equally find they are hungry for feedback. Absolutely. Now good quality feedback, not criticism. They don't do criticism very well. They get quite defensive about that one very quickly. But if you give them really good quality feedback, they are desperate for it, as in show me how I get better.
2: Yes, absolutely. I think what we see um, often in interviews even is that uh, millennials will ask one of their interview questions that they will ask you is, who will my mentor be? The expectation and the desire to have someone who will shepherd them who will be able to translate for them, who will be able to be a sounding board. Um, this generation is, has a much different relationship with their parents than Gen Xers or Boomers do. So um, so that also comes into play. The feedback thing is um, really interesting. So it, it, it very much frustrates Gen Xers and Boomers because they want to do it their way, but then they want to know how they're doing. I, I want to do it my way. How am I doing? I want to do it my way. How am I doing and it, just, it, it feels dissonant to us. It does not feel dissonant to them. And, and, and one, one way to think about it is they've grown up in a, in a world where the minimum viable product was the norm. And what I mean by that is, that, you know, we turn our phones on on Tuesday and everything, everything's getting updated. Nothing's finished. Um, right now I'm at a video game conference. And it used to be video games came on CDs or in cartridges and you could not fix them. After they were in the market, you could not fix them. Today, a video game goes into the market, and it's fixed the next day. They find bugs. Consumers participate in the bug finding, and then companies are constantly upgrading their product. So they have a different continuum, a notion of continuum of, of uh, work that is uh, feedback-based. Uh, this, is, this is not our norm. If you're, I'm a boomer. This is not my norm. So the what I find is a couple of things. One is expect to give feedback. Um, in order to give great feedback, and what I mean by great feedback is feedback that is actionable, that will improve the performance or improve the outcome. First, we have to start with what is what is the project. How does it fit into the bigger pro- – how does it fit into the goal of the company? What is your role on the project? So every the context of everything is very well defined um, at the beginning of any work. Um, as you said, boomers, we didn't do this. We were the wait-my-turn generation. There were so many of us at the time. We just knew if we just waited our turn, elevation would happen. Well, this group doesn't think that way. So one is making sure people understand their role, understand the project, understand how the project fits into, into their goal. Then the next piece is identifying um, outcomes, desired outcomes, and then and then building in check-ins. So you you identify if the due date is Friday, then the check-in is on Wednesday, not on Monday at night at five and Tuesday at nine and Tuesday at five and Wednesday at four, right? But you identify the check-ins so that there is a level of comfort that you will not let them be wrong all the way through the project. Because if you let them be wrong in a world where constant feedback is normal, then you know all they all you're doing is creating anger and frustration. So identify where the check-ins will be before the due date, um, so that you can you'll you'll just alleviate the problem. Well, you won't alleviate all the problem, but at least you'll create uh, a set of expectations on when feedback will be coming. And the okay. third thing on that is how to give feedback. You know, um, particularly Gen Xers, who are, you know, um, the latchkey kids, um, you know, more single-only single, single only children in this generation than any other generation. Um, they are used to, it's a talk-straight kind of organization there for the Gen Xers, Gen Y, and millennials, not so much. So eliminating the word but from your vocabulary when giving feedback is crucial so they can actually accept and hear the constructive feedback on how to improve. So, for example, start with the good stuff. This is a great effort. I see that you have followed, you know, you've really uh, understood the project. And where we can improve to get to the goal is X, Y, Z, as opposed to this is a great project, you've started really good, but you got a long way to go. Just changing your language from but to and will... um, Allow people to hear what you have to say to them.
1: Okay. That works, by the way, for everybody. So this is not just for millennials. It would be good for all of us because that butt is just a real irritant.
2: You know, if you can make your work work for millennials, you make your work better for everybody. Boomers and Xers benefit if you figure out how to help millennials thrive. The opposite is not true. But everyone benefits if we figure out how to help millennials contribute in a net positive way. Okay,
1: that's a great statement. All right, so I want to come back to something, and then we're going to take a break and pick up with this in the second half. But the thing that you said something that just kind of rings really solidly with me, and that is this expectation that lots of people will contribute to identifying the bugs or the mistakes that mm-hmm. it's a community effort and that it's a continual effort. So mm-hmm. this notion of perfection is very different. And I also find it is true. They expect other people to contribute. It's the way they, I mean, we have trained them through almost all of their training to be team-oriented in their learning. And that's what mm-hmm. they're expecting this time. And I hadn't thought about that in terms of the video games, but you're absolutely, totally, right. in, in my sense, it makes a ton of sense. And it explains where the disconnect is. All right, Mm -hmm. so we're going to take a break. I'm talking with Lee Carraher, who's the Millennial Whisperer. The book is Millennials in Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work. And Lee's blog is at leecaraher.com. We've been talking about the myths. First off, this myth of the notion of entitled and what it means we need to be doing. And we've been talking about what we do as managers in terms of giving feedback. When we return, we're going to pick up with some more of the myths and talk specifically about the implications for managers and for teams. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it.
2: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: With me today is Lee Carreher. Lee is a communications strategist, but her friends and colleagues call her the Millennial Whisperer, CEO of Double Forte, and her clients include Bay Area brands in the U.S. like Cliff Bar and Camelback. The book is Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. We have just been talking about the myths of the Gen Millennials, which are those that are age 16 to 29 in the workplace. I think I got that number correct. Mm-hmm. And specifically, 36. this thirty six, excuse me, thank you. And specifically, this issue about the feeling of entitlement. And the statement mm-hmm. is it's not so much that they're entitled as in they believe they deserve. They just have been conditioned for constant positive reinforcement. That means that one of the issues in working with millennials is learning how to give that positive reinforcement and structure the work consistent with what they have learned to do. and, give them very qual- high-quality, constructive feedback. Okay, so, Lee, let's go to the second myth, you know, about being rude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear this a lot also in terms of there is, there seems to be no respect for the layers within the organization. They feel that they should <laughs> yeah. reach out to the CEO if they mm-hmm. just joined yesterday as much as if they've been there for 30 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So,
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, and that's that's we hear that all the time, you know, and I think let just talk about, again this is a conditioning thing, so boomers, uh, the wait my turn generation we're, we're used to a lot of hierarchy, you move up the chain you wait your turn, you get elevated, someone retires someone fills that spot you know, if you just wait, your, wait it out, it happens for the Gen Xers, the smallest generation, you know, they, they are in a situation where uh, um, you know, there aren't as many of them So they had a lot more opportunities faster early in their career, and then the economy really screwed up with them, frankly. Um, By contrast, millennials are, it's a flat generation. Technology has has really created this condition where every one of us is one click away, one email away, one tweet away, one post away from making a difference. You know, if you think about JetBlue, you know, having, you know, no one would have known that JetBlue had was sitting on the tarmac for ten years. (laughs) Ten years, probably felt like ten years. Ten hours. You know, someone tweeted it out. It exploded. JetBlue changes their policy. Uh, The power we have with information and the distribution networks for that information today very creates an incredibly flat flat world for all of us. But millennials grew up in it. The other piece is the Internet has created this illusion that any piece of information is just one Google search away. It may or may not be true, right? But access to information to people, to companies, to each other is how millennials grew up. So it is the antithetical, it's antithetical to the hierarchy that Gen X and uh, and boomers and traditionalists are used to. So there's definitely a clash there, right? And And I think the other piece of that is because millennials expect to be leaders, but they know, what their their understanding is, they don't have to. They can lead from any seat in the boat. They don't have to be at the coxswain or you know General Washington standing up at the front. They can lead from any seat in the boat, and uh, the team orientation you talked about is super important. Um, often uh, millennials get called a me generation. I don't think this could be farther from the truth. My in my experience, millennials are a we generation. They expect to be crowdsourcing. They expect to contribute. The fastest way you can um, make an impact uh, at work with a millennial is to tell people, is to tell them they let the team down. If you focus on their work and how they didn't live up to their potential, they really don't care, is my experience. But if you say you let the team down and Joey had to pick up your work and so he couldn't go out, it never happens again. So this whole flat, team-oriented, from any seat reality for millennials is just so vastly different from how Gen X and boomers grew up. It's not disrespectful. It's just a different uh, norm, right? So we have to, the other piece of that too is, um, because it's true, people, you know, I I have, I have a very small, I mean, my organization is 35 people. We don't have offices, people just show up and go, hi, can I have your time? Sure, you can have my time. And, you know, when it first started happening, I was sort of taken aback, (laughs) Sure. what do you want to talk about? Well, what I want to do here for my career, I'm like, whoa, you know, it just very much shocked me. Now it's sort of uh, de-regard, this happened. The, um, what In terms of the expectations on that, um, one, understand that that is just where they come from. Two, help people to understand what the culture is. You absolutely can talk to the CEO. You probably should wait a month and let's um, get you some work, and we'll, I'll prep you for that. Um, I'll prep you for that meeting so it's useful to you because the CEO is probably doing a lot of stuff and uh, doesn't even know who you are. It's not because you, you don't matter. It's because you just, you just got here, right? So one thing is, is sort of not worrying about the fact that people, uh, millennials want access to all levels of people. It can actually be a, be- a benefit to you. Um, the other piece also happens with being rude is... Um, the perception of being rude as there, you know, there isn't as emphasis on uh, traditional manners that Gen X and boomers and traditionalists obviously grew up with. For uh, an example of this is, you know, it's really in the last 10 years that every ballpark in this country now has to say, please rise and take your hat off before the national anthem. This is not how I grew up. This is not how you grew up. We just knew as soon as the national anthem started, you stood and you took your hat off and you put your hand over your heart this group, this generation did not grow up that way. So what looks like disrespect is just, um, and I don't like the word ignorance because it sounds really judgmental. It's just not knowing. And when you explain to people, this is why you do something. This is why you put the napkin in your lap at the, at the restaurant. This is how you, you don't start an email with, Hey, what's going on? You start an email with dear sir or whatever it is right in your culture. Um, this is the feedback they're craving, so they're not wrong. They don't like to be wrong. None of us like to be wrong. Um, but it's not out of a disrespect in their heart. It's out of a not knowing place in their mind.
1: So, and your experience is that they're open to being explained—that the culture, hey, in this culture, here's how we do things, or hey, in this culture, you probably need to wait at this, at least this, you know, three months before you speak to the CEO mm-hmm. or whatever else mm-hmm. it might be. You think they're open to it?
2: Absolutely. Okay. I think we where the disconnect happens is when we don't take the time to give a really good color to what the culture is when we don't help people fit in when, and they're not necessarily used to waiting. It's an immediate, you know, they're used to snapping their fingers and voila, there's a piece of information. So, uh, you know, in this onboarding process, you know, onboarding around culture is super important. You, you know, usually there's a lot of onboarding on what is the work and how do you use the systems and where's the copier and how do you get your expense reports done. More important is the, is the onboarding around culture. Here's how we get things done here. Here's what a meeting means. You know, for our meeting, everyone's late. It's okay if you're up to 10 minutes late. But other organizations, if you're not five minutes early, you're late, you know? So, right. you know, um, whatever those cultural things are that a lot of people don't write down, most organizations don't write down, they're just the unspoken truths. Mm-hmm. Could be, you know, don't the CEO would love to have, you know, you're on his calendar in two months, or whatever it is. Um, if you spend some time, and then... Really prep your new person, either on your team or in your organization, with, I want you to think about all the questions you have, like, what do you want to do here? Um, Who do you want to meet? What kind of information do you want? So that you can respond and and help them understand their role and how they fit in. Uh, That's the most important piece, I think, in terms of onboarding, is the culture piece, which we really, um, systems really ignore dramatically.
1: So this is interesting. I mean, we've been talking for in HR and in consulting with HR for ages about the power of onboarding and the importance mm-hmm. of doing that for every generation. What you're saying is we have to go back to the drawing board and rethink the onboarding process, both mm-hmm. as a company and as a manager. Because I do as a manager now have to get quite tactical with my onboarding on how do you fit mm-hmm. in, what am I expecting from you, what are you expecting, what do you need, how do I help mm-hmm. you. And be Absolutely. open to that as supposed to be close to it.
2: I think that is um, so you just hit the nail on the head, Wanda. Um, people show up to work, um, no matter what age, with a set of expectations. And, um, and then those work, the workplace has a set of expectations. And sometimes they're totally mismatched just because there was, no one asked the question. The more you can ask questions in the interview process and the more you can um, you know, put everything on the table you know, as an open organization at the beginning of a relationship so that you can help people fit in and help people achieve their goals, the more people are going to want to exert themselves on your behalf. Okay. It doesn't really matter how old they are. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, as I say, that we've been talking about this for for ages, and we know that it's going to make a big difference in terms of your success rate and your retention rate and a whole bunch of stuff. So as you said earlier, getting this right for millennials is probably good for the organization as a whole. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a second issue I hear about millennials, and that's this whole notion of job hopping. Mm. Are they job hoppers? Uh,
2: I think that um, in... Yeah, some of them are. (laughs) But um, in my research and other research that has been done on the topic, it's not because they want to be job offers. So let's put a little context around that. One is uh, millennials, So again, 16 to 36-year-olds, their parents are either Xers or Boomers, um, mostly. And um, Xers and Boomers know that they cannot count on a company to to be with them no matter what through their career. Uh, really, in the 1990s is when uh, large companies, publicly traded companies, started laying people off for, for, for uh, Wall Street performance, not necessarily for hitting, you know, not for business performance. And this uh, implied contract really started changing in the 90s around you work hard, we give you a gold watch. Um, to you work hard, you're not so secure. And really, through the two th- you know, into the 2000s, um, the whole notion of uh, what loyalty really meant at a company uh, got shattered. 2008 really, you know, sort of was the last nail in that coffin when the economy cratered and just people just lost their jobs, huge swath of the, of the culture just lost their jobs or couldn't find work. People still can't find work, um, that kind of thing. So these millennials know that they, they need to craft their own career, that their parents have told them, don't stay at a job too long, you'll look stale. If your responsibilities don't change a lot, you know, don't stay in the same responsibility or same job because you won't be able to find a job if the economy tanks and you lose your job and you have to find another one. Because it's their own experience. They're sharing their experience of their own careers with basically their children. So um, from the beginning, millennials know they're going to uh, not not be in a place for a long time. Also, this notion of I'll choose a career and that will be my career. Is um, a false one for millennials. Millennials expect to have two or three or four careers that are interesting to them. And watching their boomer colleagues, uh, many of whom switch careers around 45, gives them that gives them a model for you know what it may not even wait that long, kind of thing. So I find that um, what's really important to keep people, you know, and we want to keep people with us as long as we can. It is it is good for the business. It's great for continuity. It's great for the bottom line. At the same time, we just need to know that they're going to leave us. So if we approach it from they're going to leave us then and making, and making them most useful to us during their tenure, well, then you're training them all the time. Then you're investing in them so that they can give you a good return. And then the byproduct of that is people stay longer because you've invested in them, right? So if you don't invest in them, if you have people, who, you know, just do this job and move on, if they don't find meaning in their work, well, expect them to leave, there's the, you know, there's the door and they'll go right out of it. If they don't feel like they're contributing to the work, if they don't feel like you're, you're uh, spending time uh, investing in their performance. Um, and the, the, that 36% of working millennials live at home today. Um, it's a big number. It's the largest number since before world war two. Um, you know, there's a lot of safety in being able to go home. So, um, you know, there's just different different uh, things at work here. So, I think what companies have forgotten is that we, you know, companies broke that promise. So of course, they it doesn't take a rocket science once you figure that out to figure out that workers would respond differently.
1: Okay. It's interesting, this um, notion about crafting a career and the need to invest in the millennials, both so you get the best out of them, but you increase the chances that they stay long. I have to give an anecdote. I do a lot of work with younger women in the organization. So let's say right at the uh, top end of this millennial generation, so the 26 to 32, 3 range is where a lot yeah. of companies are losing women in droves. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. disproportionately, when you ask those women in private what's going on, The answer is absolutely uniformly, my career is going nowhere, meaning nobody's talking to me about the next step, I'm not getting any feedback on how I can improve, there's no movement or mobility or other opportunities, I have no clue whether there's growth in this company, forget it, Mm -hmm. I'm going elsewhere. It looks more interesting to go elsewhere, and that's exactly what Mm -hmm. you said, this notion of the fear of being too stale. Mm Mm-hmm. And for this generation, there are no consequences for um, sh- moving. That that right. for them, that feels like that's a great thing. Right. Okay, before we, um, can I just ask if you were giving managers of millennials advice? So we've talked mm-hmm. about the feedback, we've talked about the investment, we've talked about um, not doing the labeling, we've talked about the onboarding and the cultural and the expectations and norms. Is there any other advice <laughs> you would give for managers?
2: Hydrate. I mean, <laughs> um, you, just, you know, I think that the we have a lot to learn from millennials as well, right? And and the first thing I, I like to do is have um, managers understand what their that their younger colleagues read every day. So what how are they getting their news? And if you can share your reading list, so if you're reading the skim or you're reading New York Times, whatever it is, just so you get an insight into where the news is coming from, um, it gives you a big, wide-open uh, window into the person you're, you're working with, um, and that really helps in terms of creating a common language.
1: Okay, that's an interesting one to create a common language. All right, we're going to come back to that one in just a minute um, and talk about how what's the win for all of us and how do we create that sort of common ground. Uh, Lee, a lot of what you, a lot of the work that you do, has been mm-hmm. in the San Francisco area and the Bay Area. Um, we've given a lot of stats that are U.S. stats. Is it the same thing around the world, or is this more a U.S. Mm -hmm. phenomenon?
2: No, so our work is uh, in California, and then we also have offices in New York and Boston. And New York and Boston work the same way. You know, um, parts of the country don't work quite as extremely as the coasts do um, because there's there's a dynamic there. The um, rest of the world um, has the same, has same issues. Uh, they are expressed a little differently. China's having a dramatic, you know, the Chinese culture is changing so fast. Um, and de- definitely their millennial generation is testing the boundaries of the older ones. In Europe, um, this is a common thing we hear in the UK um, and in the Scandinavian countries. In France, there's a little different... Um, You know, France is just different. How they approach work is just different, anyway. Um, But we we definitely hear it all over the place in terms of this how this act where where there's been access to technology, there is a generational divide around millennials. Where there's been less access to technology, there is not so much generational divide.
1: Okay, all right, and so that would say the free availability of information, the Uh anything can, the crowdsourcing opportunities, that's Mm -hmm. collaborative kind of all of that stuff that we've been Mm -hmm. talking about. Is the the access,
2: just having access? Right, access is access is is currency that that uh, access is currency that millennials. very differently than than Xers and Boomers. It was, you know, high-priced currency for Xers and Boomers, and not so much for millennials. Everyone can have access. is their point of view.
1: Okay. That's interesting. All right. Now, I have to ask one last question, then we are going to take a Mm -hmm. break. You know, I'm a baby boomer generation. When we started our careers, we were going to get rid of the hierarchy. We were going to not be <laughs> part of the establishment. We were going to break the code of conduct. How is it that we became so comfortable with this hierarchy? And you got one minute to answer that question. We could spend three days.
2: Yeah. I think we became um, comfortable with – I'm not sure comfortable, but resigned to the hierarchy given the economy. And the, um, the need to work longer than we, had, than we wanted to. I think we, a lot of boomers thought they were going to retire at 50 and go uh, farm or go to the beach. And the economy, and so there was just a false expectation, um, and so the reality of having to work much longer than we anticipated has resigned us to a hierarchy that was
1: comfortable. Okay great. All right, we're going to take a break again. With me today is Lee Carraher, The Millennial Whisperer. I love that title and I think it captures it very, very well. The book is Millennials in Management and you can read more from Lee at LeeCarraher.com. We'll be right back and when we come right back, I want to talk about how do we create a mutual environment, something about meeting in the middle that's going to make this an easier journey for all of us. We'll be right back. (music) Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. We're
2: making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest... Call into the program at 1 472 5790. Again, that's 1 472 5790. You may also send an email to Wanda.Wallace at LeadershipForumINC.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
1: Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Lee Carraher. Lee is a communication strategist. Her company is Double Forte, and her specialty is working with millennials in all of the young, upstart, highly successful brands like Cliff Bar and Camelback. The book, again, is Millennials in Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. We have just been talking in the last two segments about the myths that we hold about millennials and the accuracy and the inaccuracy. So things like entitlement, The desire for feedback, the wanting access to the CEO on day two, um, the not abiding by the cultural norms and expectations. And Lee's point of view is all of that is not because the millennials feel that they are special so much as they have been conditioned. And a lot of that is driven by, for them, access because of technology around the world, is available to everyone, and therefore, they believe they should have access. We also add to that this notion of crowdsourcing as a phenomena, and uh, software development is never being perfect, but constantly being upgraded and created by the users, And it brings for a very different set of expectations about the workplace. So for this segment, I want to turn for a minute and say, so what do we do that's constructive? How do we as managers, whether that's a Gen X or a baby boomer, create common ground with millennials that's going to make this work for everybody? So, Lee, how do we do this?
2: Well, I think that um, first our expectation A few things. One, if you don't have a millennial in your business, your business does not have a future. So just understanding that, right? (laughs) Just understanding that your business's future depends on having this younger generation in it and making it relevant. Uh, Relevance is the key to business uh, sustainability. And the more relevant we are, the more prosperous we can be. And relevance really is about um, many things, but has to be about the people who work with you. Cause if you're not relevant to the people you're counting on to make the work happen, you will not be relevant to the people you're counting on to purchase your work, whatever that means. It's a widget or a service or a, or whatever. So one is just understanding that, right. And that sort of, if you can just say that out loud, it sort of just sort of pops the bubble of resentment that uh, so many people have. Um, the second thing on, um, on creating common ground is really this context-setting work that was not necessarily how Boomers and Xers came into the workplace, but this really idea of aligning up the goals of an organization with the goals of the team that you're on, the goals of the person that you're on, what's the values that go all the way through there, and then um, what are the goals, and then what are the roles. So here's our team. Here's what we need to accomplish in order for the company to meet its goal. And on our team, we have seven people, and every person has, is important. If we don't, if all seven people don't pull their weight, all seven people aren't gonna. The team is not gonna achieve. So, just sort of at the beginning of any project or team or anything like that, just being very clear about how important all of us are to each other and how we're dependent all of us all. All of us are. On each other's work to, in order to achieve. And then, so, so there's no question. Everyone understands. And when um, everyone benefits from that, so that if there is somebody who drops a ball, there's no, um, everyone, everyone has the same information. Because often this, this miscommunication is, I didn't know that. Well, if you can ensure that everybody knows everything, uh, this transparency of information, this transparency of responsibility. Everyone shares in it. It's not about uh, the generation. It's about a person being part of a team that matters. The, um, and I find for that, it's a bit of a, it feels like a lot of upfront work, but then the more you can create the commonality of language, responsibility, understanding of due dates, the less friction you have and the more trust you're building and the more less friction, more trust, better efficiency you have regardless of age. Um, and if we can just strip ourselves away from He's an old person. He's not going to able to do things very fast. Or, you know, she's going to drop her ball. She's going to want to go to yoga at 3 o'clock. You know, we just like can get rid of those things that um, just when, you, when you're when you saying the word should, just know that you're setting yourself up to be disappointed, right? <laughs> no
1: matter what. Yes. Yeah. And again, as you said many times, that's true for everybody. I knew mean, if we stopped, sure that would be better off on it. Absolutely. So, Lee, talk to me for a minute about this. Um, so I want to give you a concrete example. Sure. I was working with a team where there is a late-age millennial, maybe tipping into Gen X, but right at that boundary line. Mm-hmm. So, so more experienced person who's not the formal manager but is a collaborator with an absolutely young millennial, 24. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a couple years of experience, really bright, really competent, desperately needed on the team. But the younger person has this notion that work is not confined by 9 to 5 or 8 to 6 or whatever the hours are. That work Mm -hmm. is a fluid flow. And I am as likely to be in here at 3 a.m. as I am to be in at 2 p.m. working on something else. Is that Mm -hmm. a common characteristic of the millennials? Yeah. absolutely.
2: and it absolutely is coming. And I think that, you know, we grew up understanding, we grew up with a, we couldn't open a newspaper. Now they don't even have those anymore, but you can click on a newspaper today. In the last 20 years without hearing the term work-life balance, as if they were two different things on the different sides of the scale that you wanted to balance out. And there was this concept of, I leave my work and I start my life, and I leave my life and I start my work. And technology has really blown that up, right? Our work and just what technology has allowed and fomented in terms of this fluid idea of um, time—that time is, t- you know, time is everything, and we just have to get our work done in it, right? It, this is not, and in a twenty-four-seven uh, world, I mean, everything's on all the time. The, um actually I need people to look at their email before they go to bed because the world may have changed, frankly, and they may need something different, uh, the next day. So, uh, one is sort of this work-life balance and this better understanding of integration, work-life integration, uh, which is really where, uh, I work with everybody, no matter who, the older people in my office, like, just get to work-life integration. For instance, I tell all of my, the parents in my office, read your personal email all day long because, you know, if you have kids in school and you have to do volunteer work, which all of us have to do, you will get stuck with the worst things if you don't read your email all the time. Um, you know, you're setting up 300 chairs at some sort of event, right, as opposed to making the brownies with no edges, whatever. So read your email all the time. So this concept for the millennial, which is where time and life and work sort of are intermingled and um uh, uh, intertwined is very common. What um, what I find in that sort of situation is you, the team needs to find, a way, you know, what are the moments in time that matter, whose work depends on somebody else's work, um, and so how do you make sure that, you know, schedules can be accommodated? Um, so, for instance, if someone's going to go to a doctor's appointment for three hours in the day or someone's going to go to a ballet lesson or someone wants to sleep in or whatever it is. Um, everyone has a mutual understanding of what the deadlines are and who is, who, whose work is dependent on other people's work so that you can organize your work against the team's goals, not against your own. Right. And then when you can, if you can make the team work, and it really doesn't matter what your schedule is, I mean, empirically, right. (laughs) It centers the culture and stuff like that. But um, then you can, everyone can be accommodated, but it's, you know, no one schedule can dictate everybody else's schedule. It's the work that has to dictate schedules. And then people can work their schedules to accommodate the deadlines that accommodate the work. So really, um, for that young person, I'm um, saying, I get it. You can work, you know, yes. However, you're part of this team and this team needs you to do these things by this time. And we need you to be in person these times for sure. Um, that will go a long way. And my 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 gut is that person will say, Of course, absolutely. Just tell me when you need things done and I'll make sure it happens. Um, how we respond is they're not gonna get things done on time because we're not telling them when we need to get it done. Okay, so um if you if you have an organization where you have to be in person eight to five, well that person can't stay. But, you know, there are very few organizations that really require people to be together. You know, if you're working at a Starbucks you gotta show up for your shift. You know. But other work may not happen, right? For instance, in my company, we had uh, we had three people who had to be uh, at a place um, at the L.A. Convention Center today at 2 a.m. Well, I'm not expecting them to be around until 6 p.m. today. You know, we have to accommodate the work.
1: Okay. So, And then we come back to this whole notion of being very, very clear about the roles, the interdependencies, mm-hmm. the goals, the team spirit, how are we in this together, and the cultural norms, Mm -hmm. what's the courtesy here of telling me if you've run into a snag and it isn't going to go well or whatever the other components of that are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like this approach. It's actually a really good one for all of us, as we've said so many times. So now, you said earlier, Lee, about looking at the millennials' reading list, exchanging reading lists, because that lets you understand what information they have, how they see the world they're thinking. Do you have other tips like that?
2: Sure. So I think one... um, Definitely, the reading list um, is something that really is sort of a, a groundbreaker. In, and we, we, you know, I want the, the millennial to read my reading list too, right? So they see okay. what I'm looking at. <laughs> and I think that's the other piece of it. This is not one person's responsibility. It's not about boomers and extras changing everything, and we're catering to millennials. It's about everybody understanding how we can all work together. So, for in my book, actually, the one argument I had with my my publisher was the back of every chapter is is do's and don'ts, one do's and don'ts for managers and one do's and don'ts for millennials. And they were like, you know, Lee, you have to write to one audience. I'm like, well, I don't want to write to one audience. I want to write to the team because that's how work people work. Um, and I said, well, I won't publish my book. I won't, I'm not going to write it if I can't do it. So I caved on the, on the title. They caved on the format. <laughs> <laughs> um, So that one thing that meant, you know, reading each other's thing is the first piece. The other piece is, um, understanding, um, really understanding what the millennial, you know, what do they imagine for themselves? That piece is just so, so important because it says that you care about that person. Um, three, not letting people be wrong for a long time. So I'll give you an example. Uh, My, uh, I actually write this in, in the book I share this example in the book, um, this woman is super smart. She's a late exer, I think, and uh, she had a young woman working for her and who would worked for her for six months, and her the woman's work was great. She did such great working, but she but this exer um, was... This, I'll just call her Sally. Sally was just so despondent. She's like, oh, my God, this woman. She does great work, but she's never here on time. She's never available when I need her. You know, ugh, I'm going to have to fire her. What do you think I should do, Lee? And I said, well, this... So I'll just call her Anne. Does Anne know that she's late? Well, she should know. I'm here at eight o'clock. She doesn't show up nine forty five. I said, Well, did you tell her what the hours are of the of the office or? But she should know this. Like I'm there. And I just looked at Sally and I said, But she doesn't know that you just you've been there for an hour and forty five minutes. For all she knows, you got there at nine forty four, one minute before her, right? And I said, You need you know, it would be unfair. I think, for you just to fire her. If her work's good, you know, you just have to rearrange the work. Um, And when you talk to her, expect her to be angry. Expect her to be angry. And she might quit. And um, Sally was like, she's not going to quit. I'm going to fire her. No, well, you know, just just be no. And um, Sally called me a couple days later. She goes, oh, my gosh, Lee, I talked to Anne, and I told her, you know, she'd been late for six months. She'd been late. And uh, she she was so angry, she ran out the door. And I, I followed her and basically, you know, basically Sally let Ann be wrong for six months without confronting her. And because she didn't want to be mean, because she didn't want to be bitchy, because she didn't want to, you know, she didn't want to be, she's conflict averse, right? Um, And she just hoped that this young woman, Ann, would, you know, figure it out. Well, that's not going to work. You don't let people be wrong. As soon as you have, you know, if, they do, if someone does something that is outside of your expectation, you've got you to gotta have that conversation and say, I expected X. Maybe you didn't understand this. In the future, this is what needs to happen. The first time. And that is what, how you help people be right and how you build trust.
1: Wow. That is it's an interesting notion it's a very subtle shift but this sense that Mm -hmm. my job as a manager is to help people be right from the first time and if you say that and you say what do I have to do to make sure they're right and I don't assume that their norms and expectations and cultural standards are mine their experience is mine we have a very different candid conversation wow Mm -hmm. that would change that would truly change the workplace Okay, so with me today is Lee Carraher. Lee is company is called Double Forte. Her clients are Bay Area brands in the US like Cliff Bar and Camelback, and as you've heard, also some experience globally as well in a variety of different places. The book is Millennials in Management: The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work, and the blog is on Lee's website at Lee com. Lee, I think the highlight for me today is really a couple of things. One is this notion of access and the expectation that access is available for everybody. Information and access is just a norm. The second is the sense of what the crowdsourcing has done in effect, that everybody contributes to the discovery, the implementation, the finding of the errors, the, and errors are not a single thing. They're just an ongoing thing. And three, that whatever I have in my mind as a manager about the norms, the expectations, that's not necessarily what the millennial has been conditioned to expect and so learning to be communicative about the time and the hours and the so on just breaks everything open so Lee thank you for being here today
2: it's been so great to talk with you Wanda thank
1: you much appreciated all right and then tune in with us next week we have Nan Russell talking about trust and getting things done especially when you're not in charge we'll see you then
0: Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.